Exciting news before we start the show, everybody. We have a new merch item available this week in our merch store, merch.latenight.com. It is a jar with a logo on the front that says Ninja Brian's Homestyle Mayo. So it's a picture of Ninja Brian, who's my close personal friend, and a bunch of other mayo-related things. And it is just, like, drippingly yummy. There's no mayo in the jar. You can use it for whatever. You can, like, drink out of it or whatever. Whatever you want to do. But mayo is strongly encouraged. Also, we have a video version of this week's episode available to all tiers on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash late night. So visit us over there if you want to check that out too. So... You two did Bright Spot together, correct? That's the connection here. Mm-hmm. Well, so I first met you when you were doing the Dream Daddy uh, No Clip documentary. Correct. Forever yes. ago. Which turned out incredible. That was like, of all of the dev interviews I've ever done, we got the most honesty from that crew. It was great. Wow. By a mile. <laughs> and you did a great job. Thank you. That's a series of documentaries and one was about Dream Daddy or what? It's Noclip, you know, Danny O'Dwyer. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the YouTube series Noclip. I think I might have been the only guest host slash producer he's had, unless there's someone that I don't know about. But basically, like, he had a chunk of free time, and I was waiting for my visa to go from IGN to Rooster Teeth. So I had a chunk of free time. And we were like, let's make one in LA. And it ended up being about Dream Daddy. It was cool. That's awesome. Was it while it was being made? Or was it after the fact? Or both? Or? It was definitely after. It was after. Yeah, it was by the time that I'd actually moved to L.A., so it might have been, like, 2018. Yeah, probably, like, June 2018, I think that would time out. And, yeah, the part of what was really cool about it was, like I said, that was one of the most honest dev interviews I've ever gotten, was because retrospectively, everyone was, like, willing to talk about the times that they cried. <laughs> like, sat in a room and, like, didn't know what to do. Um, right, obviously, yeah. AAA, you're not allowed to do that because they're so buttoned up about what they're allowed to say and are terrified of crunch stories breaking. Um, but also, yeah. when people are in the development process, they generally won't say anything negative. So it was a really cool retrospective piece. It was really fun to make. So I think we were in the office for, like, three days. Oh, that's awesome. A lot of footage and a whole lot of interviews. It was fun. Yeah. That's cool. Was it weird being on camera, Layton? I wasn't super used to it by that point, but it wasn't, like, weird. I realized after I was watching it, I was like, fuck, my bra strap is showing out of my dress. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never live this down. I've gotten into this terrible habit of asking like male producers to help with that. And it's really <laughs> awkward because I'll be like, hey, if I have too much cleavage, just tell me. And every time they're like, you, you told me to tell you. <laughs> It's too much cleavage. <laughs> you want to adjust your shirt? And I just have to be like, I asked you to say it. It's okay. Yeah. The the lifesaver for me has been the Hollywood fashion tape that's just double stick tape that you just mm. slap it on. That stuff is good. Yeah. For everything. Keeping straps up, keeping deep Vs up. Mm-hmm. You know, I wear the ninja costume as part of my band a lot. So for me, I have to tape my mask to my face mm. very frequently. Sometimes I'll come off shoots and I'll have a red welt on my forehead, because it's a full, you know, balaclava kind of thing, which is just the eyes. What do you do about sweat for that? Uh, what can you do? Like, you just- You just get sweaty. You just marinate. <laughs> yeah. With that, I made such a mistake. The band's like 12 years old now. I've had the same fucking mask for 12 years. If this thing gets lost, I'm completely hosed. You just gotta leave the band. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. That's when I quit. <laughs> and it's some kind of synthetic fabric. And now, it because it's been over my face for 12 years, it smells like the inside of my mouth. Mm. And it is terrible. <laughs> Every time I put this thing on, no matter how many times I wash it, it just, you know, that odor does not come out. <laughs> you didn't get more than one made? I should. I, I Like, I've had costumes made. I don't know why I haven't done it. It's because this <laughs> thing fits so well. I've tried other masks. You know, it's one of those very niche things where probably there aren't a lot of people out there that can comment on the precise fit of ninja masks. True. But this is something I know very well, or at least I know it doesn't work. So I should get another <laughs> one made. We certainly have customers we could work with. Like, if I'd been smart a year ago, I would have been like, well, now no one has anything to do. Let's get 12 masks made. <laughs> Sometimes it's like an old faithful situation where you're like, but it's the trusty mask. I don't want to mess with that fluff. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to keep this mask forever. I definitely have like old pairs of shoes that are falling apart. The stench like improves the performance. Mm -hmm. And then once it gets fucked up, you can auction it off on eBay. Just like Brian Wecht sweat collector. That's right. That's good. It's also now part of my process to, after a show or during a shoot, lose the mask freak out about it, <laughs> get everyone on set to help me find it. It's, you know, I threw it over some rack somewhere after a particularly difficult take when I just had to get the thing off so I could breathe and then find it. I have tendonitis in both of my wrists. Oof. And when it's bad, which it hasn't been in a while, I have to wear like wrist guards so that I don't move my thumb too much. It basically means that the tendon that's right here has been like worn down. They describe it as if you'd pulled the tendon like back and forward over a rock and it's just Oof. really frayed. So oh, any God. kind of movement really hurts. Oof. So a, a strap will like stop me from moving my thumb and helps it heal. But anytime that I will go to like a bar and drink, I have to take it off when I go to the bathroom. Not even one time did I manage to remember to take the wrist strap out of the bathroom. Every uh -huh. single yep. time I had ever done that, I lost every single wrist guard. <laughs> Literally not once. It's because I'm like, I'm drunk in a bar somewhere and I'm just like, got to take my wrist strap off. I'll just leave it here. And then I just walk out yeah. and forget about it. I think I probably spent like, I don't know, maybe like 500 bucks on wrist guards at this point. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. It's the same situation with like bobby pins, hair clips, and hair ties. Cause I had like baby hair and didn't need it forever. And now it's super long. And it's like you lose, you buy a pack, you lose every single one of them, you clean, you find all of them, and then you immediately lose all of them again. I don't know where they go. Same as chapstick. Like, where do I keep putting it? Yeah, I have to have a designated chapstick place right here. Chapstick place? I do too, actually. I have four of them where I'm like, there's one over there and there's one over there. But I finished one last year, probably because I wasn't going anywhere. And I was like, oh my God, I just finished a whole thing of chapstick. <laughs> like, I didn't even know I could do that without losing it. It's never happened in the history of mankind. It was wild. I was very proud. Told my mom. Getting to the nub. Yeah, had a whole potty. What's your chapstick go-to? I feel like it's always hard to dial in the one. Mm. I don't know what the brand name is, but it's got a blue label. I like Burt's Bees for a lot of products. Mm -hmm. So like I use Burt's Bees as like a facial oil and a moisturizer and a, a face wash because it's almost entirely natural. So I try not to like put chemicals on my face. And they do have a good chapstick as well. But you know how some of them are like kind of stingy? They burn your lips a bit. Yes. Yeah. Especially if it's like a mint one. Supposedly it's good. No, I'm not out here trying to get assaulted. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to get hydrated lips. I don't need to be attacked today. <laughs> You know, I get a lot of makeup, like sample bags or whatever from Sephora, and then they put in a lip plumping lip gloss, and you're like, oh, sounds nice. And then you put it on, and it's like, oh, I have chemical burns. That's why they look plump. It's because it hurts. I've never tried that before. They have acid in it that's supposed to, like, make your mouth. Really? 
Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Like it's supposed to like actually like irritate your lips enough that they will get bigger. That's terrifying. Well, it's a similar thing with like, you can take a toothbrush and you can brush your lips and it'll do basically the same thing. Huh. This is a thing people do. Yeah. Yeah. To pl- Oh, well. Also, you can do the sucking on a shot glass thing that children were doing on TikTok or Vine or whenever that was. Surely none of this lasts very long. No. I feel like it's right before a take or something, and then you do it. Oh, uh, yeah. Or you do your selfie session, and then you get you take 200 pictures, and then you get your one that's the good one. I'm hesitant to ask this. What's the sucking on a shot class thing? It's pretty literal. Okay. You- I've seen the videos of it that people were like, don't do this. It's damaging your lips. They were calling it like the Kylie Jenner yeah. lip challenge. Have not tried it, but you put your lips inside of a shot glass, and then I guess like suck all the air out, so it's suction, so it's pulling oh. your lips in. Okay. I think. And thus they would get swollen. I was envisioning it like you put your lips on the outside of the (laughs) shot glass. And I was like, first of all, how does that work? No. That's a completely different thing. Right. (laughs) Which seems a lot more painful. I did watch a movie just last night. It's from 2018, and I believe it's an Indonesian film. The Night Comes for Us is what it's called. Okay. And very gory action film. A lot of fun couple of lines of English, but largely in Indonesian and some Mandarin. There's like a little bit of French in there as well. Really, really enjoyed it. But there was a part where this guy is killed by someone smashes a bottle, shoves the bottle into another dude's mouth. So like the top of the wine bottle is sticking out of his mouth and then smashes Mm -hmm. his head into a table. Oh, God. That one really stuck with me. (laughs) It was like, wow, a lot just happened to you. (laughs) That's very upsetting. It was really brutal. A lot of really, really gory stuff in that movie. But there'd be some actors you recognize. Like the lead is Joe Taslam, who is Sub-Zero in the Mortal Kombat movie. Oh, okay, gotcha. And also from The Raid. Uh Oh. So he's fantastic. Yeah, it was really gory. (laughs) But very fun. Uh, That's immediately what sucking on a shot glass made me think (laughs) of. Just that man having his head smacked against a table. It's a lot. I remember we got some Ninja Sex Party videos in a comedy film festival out here. And we were at this, you know, it was like comedy shorts kind of stuff. And there was one short where someone got curb stomped. It's like all this happy comedy stuff. And then in the middle of one short, someone gets fucking curb stomped. And the entire audience, like, oh my, there's this audible sound of revulsion from everybody who was there to have a good time and watch some comedy films. <laughs> they thought they were going into the loft. Oh my the God. The only movie I've seen a curb stomp in is American History X. And yeah. that, again, has stuck with me enough that I'm like, oh, I would like to avoid that at all costs, please. Yeah, the teeth scrape. Oh, I mean, this is like 10-ish years ago. Now it has stayed with me. What was the rest of the short about? I could be wrong about this. I believe it was about bike cops in Venice, I think. Huh. Okay. I may be conflating two things. Just feels like narrative justification for your curb stomp. Like, as a gore hound and a practical special effects bitch, I would be like, ha I'm going to get into this comedy festival and I'm going to put a fucking curb stomp in there. <laughs> Given what you just said, Alana, maybe it was an homage to American History X, which I've never seen. So It's a pretty iconic curb stomp in there. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen that scene. You know, just thinking about comedy inspiration, it's like, you know, it's just really a laugh a minute. American History X. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> I'm looking up the curb stomp because I don't remember what it looks like if I go to images. Oh, I can't watch it. Yeah, it's bad. He really stomps on him. It's Edward Dunn doing the stomping. Yep. Oh, yeah. You see yeah. his teeth. Yeah, it's a lot. No, thank you. I think it's a good movie. I have this problem where anything that I watched like over five years ago, maybe it's over seven, I don't trust my own opinion on. 
mm-hmm. anymore. So I'm like, I liked this movie when I saw it. But 100%. I could be dumb and wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I was just thinking about that recently because there are some movies, you know, I'm in my mid-40s. There's some movies that I love that I haven't seen in like 20 years. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, the last time I saw this, I was maybe in college. And probably my tastes have changed a lot. Will I still love it? And I can't think of anything that I really change my opinion on. But most things I've seen have actually held up pretty well. But I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I don't trust whatever, 22-year-old me to like the stuff that 46-year-old me likes at all. I want to ask a follow-up on that, but I just have to say I searched American History X curb stomp and the third image result is a change.org petition. Remake the film American History X, but have Derek wear Tim's in the curb stomping scene. And it's an edited photo of Ed Norton wearing Timberland boots. Wow. It had 16 (laughs) whole supporters. Wow. I was just going to ask, like, if you had a thing that you really loved and then watched later and hated or the other way around. I think I've avoided watching the stuff that I'm worried I won't like. But the one that my head goes to is Donnie Darko. I loved Mm. it as a teenager. (laughs) I was just about to say Donnie Darko. I don't know if I would like it now. But I don't really want to rewatch it because I don't want to ruin it for myself. <laughs> I had this exact yeah. same experience. Donnie Darko was one of my favorite movies in high school. I started our high school film club mainly because I wanted to talk about Donnie Darko. Nice. I loved it then. And this year I was like, I need to revisit some comfort media. And I was like, there's no way Donnie Darko is still good. It's still fucking great. It's still really good. Okay. Really? Yeah. I mean, your mileage may vary, but I loved it. Oh, I was like so sure that it was like pretentious, edgy, teenager bullshit. Yeah. That's very comforting. It's so like self-aware of what it's doing. Like it feels like I hate the 80s kids on bikes thing. And I think that's the one piece of good 80s kids on bikes media because it is so like mocking of that, like certain pretentious teenage thing. It's not like, oh, this is cool. It's like, look at these idiots, which is a point of view I love to see from a director. So it's probably that when I was a teenager, I ate it up and didn't realize I was being made fun of. And now when I go watch it, (laughs) I'll realize it's making fun of something I no longer like (laughs) because I'm smart enough to pick up on that. That's great. I'm very happy to hear it. Still too scared to watch it. Just has like a million cameos in it from people like Seth Rogen's in it as one of the shitty teens. Really? Yeah. Seth Rogen is in it? Yeah. What? Yeah. Wow. Wow. So I saw that, I guess, when it came out, I would have been, I think it was 2001, probably, so 26. I was living in Santa Barbara at the time, just for a few months. I remember driving down to the closest theater I was playing in, which was in Santa Monica. So I drove from Santa Barbara with a friend to Santa Monica. I have a very clear memory of being like, where are we going to fucking eat? All right, Johnny Rockets. (laughs) Eating at a Johnny Rockets, and then going to see Donnie Darko the Santa Monica promenade and then driving back up to Santa Barbara being like with my friend the whole time being like, holy shit, this was the greatest thing we've ever fucking, we were talking about it the whole time. Did it win awards or anything? Like, I feel like it didn't, right? It was not financially successful and it was one of those ones that got really big on the home video market and developed a cult following because of the VHS release. Mm. Yeah. I've been trying to find that one on VHS, but it's always really fucking expensive. You still have a VHS player? I have a little Disney Princess pink CRT and a VHS player and I collect weird VHS tapes because I love flushing money down the toilet. That's incredible. Yeah, I love collecting (laughs) useless shit, 100%. (laughs) One of life's greatest pleasures. (laughs) Just collecting useless shit. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I love to look at my objects. Right before you got on, Alana, Layton was talking about how she writes everything down in longhand, too, when she's taking notes for stuff, which I, I find this, like, retro media thing 
especially among people, you know, in their early 20s and younger, very, very interesting. It's so retro to write on paper. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, I can't do it. Like, I do that at my job. Like, even though I could be taking notes in a document, I take notes by hand and I do it without looking generally. But it's because I feel like I remember better when I've physically written something. That's what she was saying. Yeah. I mean, and you're a writer too, right? Like, I feel like when you're ideating, it's a little bit easier to just like be able to scribble it. Way you prefer it. The only downside is I wish I could sometimes, like, if I'm writing something, create more space. I'm like, well, I have to draw a giant arrow to this fucking page for this garbage. Yeah. You remember the cinema? Damn. Uh, I'm ready to go back to Alamo Draft House. Yes. Oh, God, I'm so ready to go back to the Alamo. Yeah. Did they close? They didn't close, right? No. Alamo didn't close, but they did get bought by, like, a big private equity really? thing, I think. Yeah. Interesting. I'm surprised they agreed to that. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong about that, but A- Maybe I'm wrong. B, maybe it hasn't been finalized. My favorite kind of facts to share on podcasts are ones where you're like, I might have read this. I don't know. <laughs> so I looked up Donnie Darko on IMDb. The first bit of trivia, because usually trivia is really stupid and bad, is at the rap party for the film, Seth Rogen and Jake Gyllenhaal agreed that they had no idea what the movie was about. That's fair. That's the kind of trivia that I like to hear. But also, like, I think maybe that's one of the things, because I've talked to many people who have echoed the, like, I feel like Donnie Darko probably doesn't hold up sentiment. And I think it's because people treat that movie like it's like, ooh, what happened? I don't know what happened. It's like, it's pretty explicit what happened. And also the director's cut is so much more handholdy about it. Well, because it has the interstitial bits, right? Yeah. Give you more info? Yeah. Sorry, just to follow up here. Alamo Drafthouse did declare chapter 11 and got bought by some big firm or something. Damn. Okay. As long as I can still get my booze milkshake and enjoy Cats 2019. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, they're so good. And then you get your food and you're like, I'm excited for food. And then you start eating it and it's the <sighs> crunchiest thing in the world. And you feel like a heathen. And you miss the whole film because you're trying not to spill the food on yourself because it's also really dark. I miss it. I miss it so much. It's incredible. <laughs> Just like, oh, I'm bored on a Sunday. Let me see a movie. First time I went to an Alamo draft house, I remember I'd been reading about it for years. This is a while ago. This is probably at least 10 years ago. So it's before it had really expanded out of Texas. So I've been reading about this amazing movie theater in Austin for years. Was that the first one in Austin? Yeah. There are two in Austin now, San Francisco, L.A., there might be one in New York as well. There's one in El Paso, I know, because I've been to that one. So anyway, I was in Austin to give a physics talk, and I was like, well, I got to go to the Alamo Draft. I've been reading about this fucking movie theater for years. There was no movie showing, but they were doing Mortified. Have you ever seen a Mortified show? Do you know what this is? No. no. It's a storytelling show where people read their teenage diaries <gasps> on stage. <gasps> I don't know if they still do it. Shit. You know, I reckon... I've got a hard drive somewhere that has my teenage diary. I called it Dolly. And so I would go, dear Dolly, today this happened. <laughs> I love that very much. I've gotten back into journaling every day. I need to start everything with dear diary now. <laughs> like it just feels more appropriate. Extra dramatic, all caps, <laughs> underlined. And then just imagine me lying on a bed with a fluffy pen and doing like slumber party legs. Exactly. Dear diary, today I laid in bed all day. As is organic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I told you this, Leighton, but Audrey started a diary. Well, what she thought was a diary, but it was just a piece of paper that she left on the coffee table. Our daughter is just about to be seven. And this diary entry, it did start, Dear Diary, and it was all about how much she loved her parents Aww. and how much she liked living in her house. And it ended with, I love my family so much. Aww. 
She didn't write it for us. It was for herself. That's very cute. It was so cute. Or was it a false flag? (laughs) (laughs) Knowing her, probably. She has this secret hatred diary somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah, she's trying to get something. She's getting in those brownie points for a birthday super early. Yes. I have a diary from when I was really young that my mom kept that is entirely about video games and dogs. The whole thing is like, today I played this video game on the computer. And I mean, it's all spelt wrong. And I'd be like, my dog is cuddly like a koala. And that's it. And I was like, you know what? I have not changed. That's pretty great. <laughs> Very consistent. Dogs and video games is all I care about. It's great. Yeah. For the Mortified show, I just want to share one memory from it where some woman was reading her, I forget how old she was, probably like 11 or 12, like just post pubescent or just starting puberty kind of age. So the age where you have no idea what sex is or what it's going to be, but you kind of know some vague things. And her diary was all about how she wanted to have sex with someone, but she thought sex consisted of what she called Frenching and pissing. Mm. And so she wrote some erotic fiction for herself. And this is what she read. And it was all like, Then they started Frenching each other, and they started Frenching each other so much that they started pissing. And after they stopped pissing, they started Frenching again. It was amazing. (sighs) Yeah. And she was like, I don't know why I thought pissing was involved, I guess. That was also in something I saw recently. I mean, that's in a scripted show, but that was a reference to a teenage boy saying that he thought that you finish a blowjob by peeing in someone's mouth. And I was like, Hmm. people think that was how... That went down at some age? (laughs) Yeah, you know, pee is stored in the balls, et cetera. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's how we think that that happens, yeah. I don't know at what point you've learned that it's not peeing or why we assume it's peeing from the jump, but here we are. I really do not want to go too far down this road, but (laughs) I guess when you're little, like, your junk is used essentially for one thing, and you're like, well, that's what it's for. So that must be what it's always for. Yeah. Frenching and pissing. (laughs) Yes, Frenching and pissing. So, Alana, we were talking about horror movies outside of Bright Spot when we were all hanging out. And I have to say, that hangout was the first time I felt like a person in, like, six months. <laughs> Just all of us standing there awkwardly shooting the shit. So wild. But yeah, have you watched any good horror movies lately? The answer is no. I mean, I think I, like, in that hangouts book about how much I love Hereditary, such a huge fan of that movie. And when I sort of made a short film recently, I took a bunch of inspiration from Hereditary. Oh, amazing. I will watch pretty much anything horror. Like, even if it's bad. Like, what do you think about It Follows? I feel like a lot of people have a lot of strong opinions on It Follows, and I think I don't like it as much as the average human. Yeah, it's fine. Hmm. The soundtrack slaps. I really like the little um, seashell compact, like, Mm e-reader thing. I think Mm -hmm. we should have those. There's the, the trope in horror movies where it's like, you know what the scariest thing in the world is? A naked old person. It's true. Hereditary even does that. A lot of naked old people, actually. Hereditary, Midsommar. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Was The Shining the first to do that? Surely it can't be the first. I think if you go back and look at Hexan, a study of witchcraft, there are naked old people in that, and that was 20s. Oh, yes, your favorite. It's little girls and old people, for sure. But the little girls aren't naked. They're wearing night dresses. Good. Yeah. And the old people, 100%. I wonder where that trope came from. It's super interesting. Yeah, I mean, I like It Follows, but I felt like I just, the part where they got to the pool just sort of lost me a bit. <laughs> like, I was just like, all right, <laughs> chill out. I'm not much of a horror person. Is that the one where 
when you have sex with someone, you pass it on to the next person? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I mean, that makes it sound a lot more smutty than it actually is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a huge sex focus. Yeah. You get followed by a naked old person walking very slow. Terrifying. Yeah. And the thing that I do really like about it is kind of the concept is that someone will be following you that no one else can see. They just walk. So you also wouldn't really know who it is until they try to kill you. Oh. But they will follow you forever. So, like, you could drive for an hour and stay somewhere for two days and they will show up, but you wouldn't see them coming in a crowd because they're just walking in your direction, Hmm. which is pretty spooky, even unrelated to the STD parallels they went with. It could be anybody and you just never know. That's the scary part. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. They do a lot of jump scare. I mean, I can't even remember how many actual jump scares that movie had, but where it's like, "Uh uh-oh, naked person in your house. Mm -hmm. Trying to kill you. And then if you die, it gets passed to the next person down. So yeah, it's very the ring-esque. For sure. Where it's like, sorry, I got to pass it off to you. Whoops. Yeah. It has some cool stuff going on, like a unique approach. The last movie I actually saw in uh, cinemas was The Invisible Man. Oh, the Elizabeth Moss? Yes, Moss. Which was one of those movies where it was almost good. And I feel like whenever I see something that's almost good, like it's like, you were so close, damn. I like get frustrated because I'm like, just a little bit you needed to fix, you know? Yeah. I watched that not in the theaters. I watched it at home. And I agree. I felt like it was also one of those films that felt like it was much deeper and smarter than it actually was. Yeah. You know, like I enjoyed it. I had a good time watching it. And she was great. Some cool effects for sure. But it did not feel like the deep commentary that I think it felt like it was. No, I wish it had have committed a little bit harder to the concept of like stalker boyfriend abusive relationship thing. Yes. So it like starts on that and then it's like, but what mm-hmm. if we just focus on this cool suit? <laughs> what, if, what if that happened? <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. It doesn't commit to it quite enough. But I saw that at the Alamo and then the fire alarm went off halfway through. Immersion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still have these two free Alamo tickets they gave us because the movie got interrupted halfway through. While we're like, yeah, the Alamo's great. <laughs> yeah, there's something about a movie that is almost good that's more frustrating than if it was totally. an explicitly bad movie. Because I yeah. love an explicitly bad movie, whether it's like fun bad, but even if it's just like, I'm going to talk over this and shit on it bad. I think as like a writer and creative person, I love watching a bad thing because it's so educational Mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, here's where they fucked up. Here's how they could have fixed this because I'm smart and I know everything about this story. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I love having those conversations with people. I hate watching people have those conversations online because it makes me feel like I'm losing brain cells. Yeah, that's fair. It's not for socials. No, I I feel like movies that are almost good, I love talking to people about afterwards, like going out and being like, why was this not better? And it's not like I think I could make it better. Sure. You know, that's not where I'm coming from. (laughs) So production's hard. Like I'd make other mistakes that would be different to the ones they made or whatever. But it is like really good to learn from, to be like, here's what I would have changed about this thing and why I would have changed this about it. Like that is more fun than something that's just vapid, like Mortal Kombat was pretty bad in a way that I did speak over Mm -hmm. it the whole time and had a fun time doing so. Sub-Zero was very good. The Sub-Zero Scorpion fight, which was in the trailer, was also quite good. Yes, I watched that, and that's the only thing I've seen so far, and it was cool. Generally, pretty terrible film that I just wish had more combat, and everyone keeps being like, what? There's so much combat in it. It was like, no, 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 no. This whole movie should have been fighting. 
this whole movie. Like, <laughs> never should have stopped once. <laughs> why did you give anyone any character development? Because it was all dumb. <laughs> None of it made sense. I didn't buy any of it. <laughs> More comment. All people want is fucking awesome looking people fighting each other. That's literally all you want from a Mortal Kombat film. Exactly. Which they did have with Sub-Zero. And then after that, not a whole lot. Is that the first thing in the movie, what was in the trailer, that fight? No. The first thing of the movie is actually a, a fight-ish between Sub-Zero and Scorpion, but it's when he's still alive and has not become Scorpion yet. Oh, yes. And then it like jumps forward like 400 years. <laughs> but they do fight when Scorpion leaves the nether realm, mm -hmm. I believe, and comes to Earth realm for the Mortal Kombat, which never actually happens. Makes so much sense when you say it out loud. Exactly. Yeah. It's all very simple. We keep up, all right? It's <laughs> <laughs> like dudes are going to punch each other. Did they have any callbacks to the original theme song is what I'm very curious about. They did, but it was like kind of bad. <laughs> they had a lot of weird references. Like there was this character that they called Eddie Tobias, which is based on Ed Boon and Tobias being the creators of Mortal Kombat. And like for me, as someone who knows who those people are, I was like, the character was named Eddie Tobias. Oh my God. But like, it, it's just like a one offhanded comment. You never even met that character. Like, it was such a throwaway. So they did do a lot of that stuff just to like get people excited. But for the most part, it's not consistent with the video games, but also not consistent with its own invented universe. So it's just sort of a mess. But I didn't expect it to be anything else. My thing with stuff like that, like when it's Mortal Kombat, and I'm like, I just want to watch these dudes fight with their cool ice powers, okay, is why did you have to try so hard? Just simple. Yeah. Keep it simple. Like, why do we need all these things in all these different directions and these things that mean you get powers at a certain point? Like, just dial it back, man. It's this, like, Zack Snyder-y kind of effect where they try to really dive into mm -hmm. to bullshit that is just unnecessary. Honestly, for me, a lot of the recent stuff that comes out, I feel like the fact that it got finished at all is kind of more interesting than whatever happens in the movie you know, given what's been going on the last year. I would love to see what happened during production of anything that's come out recently. Like a lot of stuff has been released over the past year that I'm sure people went through all kinds of crazy machinations to get out there. Yeah, I have some friends who have worked on films and TV shows over the last 12 months. And for the ones that didn't just straight up get canceled or postponed production, it's like multiple COVID tests every week. You're not allowed to socialize. So the whole time that you're like, wherever you need to be to film, you have to be in your apartment. You can socialize in bubbles with the other cast and crew. When you're on set, they have zones. So anywhere that any performer is could be called like a red zone and, and no one else is allowed to enter the red zone, which is like several meters around an actor. You have to wear face masks and shields over the top, even though you might have to kiss someone in a scene a minute later, you still, when you're outside of the scene, have to wear all that stuff. Yeah. It seems pretty intense. Like SAG, I think, are probably the ones who are instigating that, which is like in theory to keep everyone on the production safe. And a lot of them have passed through without anyone getting COVID or getting sick or anything. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. But it seems like it's a pretty awful, very strict working conditions. People don't seem to be enjoying it. Yeah, of course not. But I mean, I'm sure people, on the other hand, are actually happy to be working and have anything at all rather than just be totally stuck. Everyone I know who's a live performer is just completely fucked. I heard an interview, I can't remember the guy's name, like a veteran Broadway guy. Like this guy is probably in his, I don't know, mid 50s, been a very successful performer forever. He started a real estate business because he's like, I can't do this anymore. I like have nothing. Wow. And this is a dude who's been like, I think he was the first black 
Phantom in Phantom of the Opera or something like that. It's a serious guy who's done a lot of great stuff and has an amazing CV. And just at the top of the game, he was just like, I can't do this anymore. I got to do something else. Like, I just have no money. Damn. Yeah. I feel like they don't get paid very well, right? Like people who work on Broadway? Well, I don't know. Because most of the actors who are working a lot are okay because they saved the money from when they were working for several years because they get paid so freaking much. I don't imagine that applies to Broadway. I mean, I imagine most of them are got to all be equity. And I imagine the union protections are pretty strong. But I'm also completely speaking out of my ass here, so I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm more of a touring musician, and we just had to put literally everything on hold. The only thing we've done that's like a tour, this episode will come out after it happens, but we recorded a little acoustic set and are releasing it as like a ticketed stream thing. And I don't know yet if anyone's going to show up for it. It's like 10 bucks for a 35, 40 minute set. And it's the only touring we're going to do all year. And it's not even really touring. And hopefully people watch it. It's hard to guess for that when you've not done it before. Yeah, it's all wild. I'm going back to Australia soon. It's just that I'll be in a hotel lockdown for two weeks. So it feels like it's two months away. Right. <laughs> because my sister is pregnant and I'm very <gasps> excited about it. I'm going to be an aunt. It's very exciting. Congratulations. But it's super weird because in Australia, there are no cases. So everything's just open. And it's going to be really hard to go and then come back and be like, yeah. Oh, I was back in heaven. <laughs> I went back <laughs> to the real world for a little bit there. But I'm fully vaccinated as of today. Oh, today is two weeks after my second shot. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm going to a restaurant on Saturday night. <laughs> I'm so excited. Oh, my God. Inside? No, it's still outdoors. <laughs> but she's just all so weird. <laughs> but I'm very excited about it because I've not been in that long. And I'm thinking I might actually go to a gym tomorrow. <laughs> I know, getting risky. I'm still going to wear a mask because I also don't mind them. Like, I know the CDC said people who are vaccinated don't need to, but I'm cool with it. I don't have any issues with it. And I say that as someone who has very bad asthma, it has never caused me any breathing problems. So I don't mind wearing them. Yeah. So I think I still will for the time being. But yeah, it's super exciting to just be able to like have any of that. It's just like protecting other people and doing the basic consideration that unfortunately a lot of people are seemingly incapable of doing. To me, it's that and putting other people at ease because they don't know what your vaccination history is. If you go to some restaurant, they don't know who you are. And just for them to see it is like, okay, well, this person gives somewhat of a shit about me not getting sick. Yeah. My intention is to still avoid places that I don't need to go that other yes. people do need to. Like I've heard some of the rhetoric that was like, you know, if they're not vaccinated by this point, then it's their fault. And I'm like, it's really not that easy for some people. Like some people just don't have the time to do that. There are complicated things. People with disabilities can't necessarily organize that kind of thing themselves. The elderly don't necessarily know how to. There are a million reasons. So my intent now is, you know, if I'm going to a restaurant still outdoors, fully vaccinated, everyone else who's there has made the choice to be there. Whereas the necessities, things like going to the grocery store, I'm still going to mm -hmm. just get groceries ordered for the time being, because there are people there who may not have the option of being vaccinated that I will just be like, you continue to do that. I will avoid you to keep you safe. Yes. But the things I can opt into, I'm cool with doing, like going to a cinema, which can't wait. I was thinking about this this past week. My philosophy over the past year has been to not try to offload risk onto other people as much as possible. So yeah. if it generally, if we order food, I will go pick it up. I mean, you can argue which is safer, and I think that's a reasonable question, which is riskier for the people working there. I don't know what the right answer is. To me, it feels like I don't want to ask this person to like come to me when I can come to them. That's been a useful way for me to frame the past year is 
when I can reasonably not offload risk onto other people, I'm not going to. Mm -hmm. There's sometimes you just can't avoid it. People are going to work at grocery stores. Some people can't afford to order groceries. Like that is more expensive. The things that you have the option of doing, I think are worth doing yeah. if you can. And I don't feel like my freedoms are being infringed upon. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm just trying to help people. <laughs> it's okay. It's not that hard. I also totally agree. Like the goal should not be to say, hey, you didn't get vaccinated, fucking die. Like, you no, know, the goal <laughs> yeah. is to have no one die. And if people are making bad decisions, which people literally do every day about everything, like still don't want them to die. Still don't want them to die. It's the, you know, mutation of the rugged American individualism that just turned into fuck you got mine. Totally. Which is so unhealthy. It's one of the most difficult things to relate to having moved from another country is I feel like it comes from like the American dream mm -hmm. has turned into a cultural phenomenon that obviously doesn't apply to everyone of I don't care about anyone else. And if anyone needs help, they're weak and they suck. Yes. And it's their fault that they need help. Meanwhile, I would never make a mistake. Not wanting socialized healthcare. What? Like, why do you not want to help people who are sick? I don't get it. And they're like, not my problem. What do you mean? Like, if anyone in society is doing poorly and we don't all try to lift them up, it is your problem because you yeah. live in the society too. Yeah. That's so hard to comprehend. I'm like, why would you not want to help people? It's very hard for people with that mindset also to comprehend the public good kind of stuff that is already happening that's benefiting them, like infrastructure kind of stuff, right? Like roads are being paved and things like that. And, yeah, yeah. True. you know, we need these things to keep existing as a society. This attitude of privatize everything, you know, is just totally destructive. I completely agree. I lived in England for three years, which is where our daughter was born. And to me, the scariest thing about moving back here was the healthcare. It's terrible. After living with socialized medicine for three years, I was like, why does anyone want it any other way? I may have told you this before, Layton. When we moved to England, we had like a going away party in Minnesota, where Rachel's from. And she has some very, very conservative, like Trumpy, it wasn't Trump back then, but then it was Michelle Bachman. But, you know, like the caricatured, right wing, like, you know, Fox News watcher, all the negative stereotypes. We got a lot of questions about England. I feel so bad saying this, but I'm honestly not trying to make fun of these people. Someone asked us, do they have ATMs in London? Mm. No, they pay for everything with a little sack of gold coins that they drop on the bar. Yes. And it's like, one beer, please. Oh, cheerio, lad. Uh, gentlemanly dollar for you, sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone asked us, do they have doctors over there? Wow. And I was like, First of all, it's one of the banking capitals of the world. They definitely have ATMs. <laughs> Australia has this thing called PayWave. You know how like Apple Pay works? Yeah, yeah. It was weird to me when I moved here that I couldn't use PayWave. Basically, every debit card, almost every, I don't know if it is every, the way that our ATM checkouts work is you just put the debit card against the ATM machine and it just scans it. Yes. And we have those everywhere. And when I came here, I was like, what do you mean I have to swipe or insert chip? What is this archaic system that you have? Well, and you guys have the little portable credit card things in restaurants too with the chip and pin kind of thing. Yeah. Which is so much better. And no tipping, no taxes. That Well, oh. we have taxes, but they never added on later. Yeah. <laughs> you know the price of the thing you're paying for immediately. Yeah, I was really struck by all of that when I went to Melbourne. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't have to shove a thing. It's great. It's so much better. I don't know why they haven't done it here. Huge fan. And the healthcare thing is like, as someone who's like, you know, I have to go to the doctor all the time. A lot of the common comments are the wait times are longer. 
if you have socialized healthcare, the wait times for me have always been longer in the US than they ever were in Australia. <laughs> always been longer for like really basic stuff too. Like for me to get an asthma inhaler here is $70. Mm -hmm. At home, it's like $6. And I don't have to have a prescription renewed for it. I remember, I, I tell this story because I feel like it's such a good example of it. There was one day on a school bus, we were heading to like the bus interchange and I had an asthma attack on the bus. And the other kids were just able to put enough money together to just go to the pharmacy and buy wow. me an inhaler and be like, she's having an asthma attack. Six dollars, they just bought me one. Yeah, if yeah. that happened to me here, I'd probably have to call an ambulance and be charged like 30 grand. Yeah. Because I'd be like, well, I can't get an inhaler. I don't have one on me. There's no way that I can do this without a prescription. It's also at $70. Like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, wait times have always been way longer here. Everything's so much more expensive. Everything seems like so much more of a risk. I mean, there are definitely like huge advantages to living in the US, obviously, which is why I do like the entertainment industry, so much more accessible here. Move so much faster, way more funding. And I feel like there's so many experts here because everyone congregates, like especially to a place like LA, which is awesome and I love it. And there's so many cool cultural events that go on all the time. Comparatively, Australia is very boring. But the socialized stuff, like just so many of the complaints that I see, I'm like, but the country I grew up in and lived in for 21 years didn't do that though. So like our social healthcare actually doesn't do any of the things you say. And they're like, well, what if I wanna go private? That's right. You go private. We still have <laughs> private doctors. They're also cheaper. <laughs> Are people not going to want to be doctors because they can't afford it? No, it's not a problem. They still get paid a shit ton. It's very confusing. It's just the blinders on of like, I'm going to ignore the fact that every other developed nation has this and it works great because I'm dedicated to my idea of the American dream and patriotism because what is patriotism other than clinging on to things that aren't mine? Like the idea that patriotism is whatever it is for these people and not like... How could you consider yourself a patriot when you don't give a fuck about other people in the country? Yeah. Where it's like, isn't that kind of the definition of like being loyal to a country of just like, yeah, I care about the people who live here. It's trying to make it better for everyone. Yeah. It's an issue that I see with American politics is I think on both sides, people are voting to win rather than voting for the better of everyone else. Yes, 100%. Like in the election, there's a lot of like, screw you guys, haha, <laughs> idiots, we won. And I'm like, whoa, 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 why do we care about this like it's a sports game? Why are we not thinking yes. about, hey, this is for the greater good, in my opinion, obviously, for this reason. But there's so little of that. And it's very confusing to watch. Like, I feel like everything has become sports. <laughs> it's red versus blue. My political ideology is dunk on the other political party and then crow about it online. That's very normal. <laughs> exactly. It's 100% both sides, too. It is so disheartening to see people on, you know, quote unquote, your side, being like, ha fuck you. And you're just like, no, that's not the point. It's really damaging. Yeah. If you put like a fraction of the energy that you put into a fucking stupid quote retweet on <laughs> insert talking head here into like actual fucking direct action praxis shit, things would be so much better. But no, you got to be right. You got to be correct. You got to get the fucking yeah. good feely dopamine from people being like, aha, good take. You really showed them. For what? What does it accomplish? <laughs> One of my Twitter rules is no dunking. I just will not participate in dunking culture ever, ever, ever. Very anti-quote tweet. It's not a good time. I will dunk, but only if I can do it as a joke, <laughs> not in a way that's mean. <laughs> you know what? That's true. I do that. Or just like, if you're going to dunk, do it with your friends in private. I mm. love to dunk on shit in private because I'm hanging out with my friends who know the context and I don't feel the need to parade me being a dick online. Yeah. And then there are people on both sides whose entire brand is like, I'm just going to be an asshole. Yeah. 
You're not being as helpful as you think you are. I mean, I get it. It's like, if you don't feel in control of your own life, you feel the need to exert this control over other people because it's like, aha, I did something and this makes me feel less bad about myself. But yeah, the internet's just everyone projecting onto each other. Yeah, I use Twitter very sparingly these days. I have all of my notifications for people who I don't follow turned off. So I will yep. never see any tweets from anyone I'm not following in my notifications. I'll have to like, I'd have to look at the tweet. It's wonderful. It's the best. That's great. I've turned off basically all notifications on everything. Twitter was the first to go. I have the quality filter on from people that don't follow me, that I don't follow. Like if you can turn off a notification on Twitter, I have turned it off. Yeah, me too. I did like look at something today for the first time in probably two weeks, I was like, let me look at these quote tweets. And someone got mad at me for something really stupid. And I was like, I did talk to this person because I was like, it's really hard not to engage. I did respond to them. I think I was pretty polite, but I was still just like, this app's stupid and I hate it. (laughs) Like everyone's mad all the time and it's not good for anyone. (laughs) It tanks your mood like immediately. It is the most like hair trigger. Oh, I feel like shit now. Yeah. I was telling Layton about this. I installed a thing. So I try not to look at it on my phone because there's no point. So I'll try to do browser only. And I also installed a demetricizer on it so I can't see any numbers for followers, retweets. All numbers are gone. That's cool. It's awesome. It's actually very disorienting at first because a tweet shows up in your feed. And my first instinct on many of these is to be like, you know, are people paying attention to this? Is this like a popular thing? Is this just some random thing? And to flatten that playing field is very, very interesting. I imagine it dramatically reframes how you read Twitter. It's a complete mindfuck at first because you cannot tell how, quote unquote, influential anything is. And you are forced to make up your own mind about it. And it's great. And then, you know, you can turn like any plugin, you can turn it off if you want. So you can always check. But I promise myself, I won't do it. I won't turn it off. If I happen to be on my phone and see a thing, okay, fine. There's some things you just have to use the phone for, but I will never turn it off on purpose. It's a very interesting reframing. And I wish there were things on the phone because, you know, you have to use Instagram on the phone Mm -hmm. pretty much, right, to make it useful. I wish there were a thing for Insta to do that and I haven't found anything. I think that planning to get rid of like displays. I did something the other day that I think is very funny. I posted a picture on Instagram and I generally use my Instagram as a timeline of events. It's just a feed of things that are happening. And often I do not post it for any public opinion. It's just, I'm posting this to document this. And I posted this picture that's of a sign that says, due to COVID-19, there is no dancing in this area. Thank you. And I said, when will this madness end? Uh, Just because I thought it was a funny sign that I was like, when I look at this sign two years from now, I'm going to be like, damn, that's the situation we were living in where people said no dancing. So what I did was I posted it and then I immediately archived it so that it was there and then gone, so it wouldn't show up on anyone's feeds immediately. So I don't have to see any comments or worry about any likes on it. And then I brought it back two days later, so it's back up. It has 300 likes, but that's not very many in the grand scheme of things for my Instagram. But I was very happy with it, and I didn't disable the comments because if I had done that, then people would have come on other posts and yelled at me about censorship or whatever. 100%. So I was just like, I'm just gonna remove it so none of you see it, and then put it back. (laughs) I felt very happy about it. I'm gonna start doing that more often. That's a really good strat. That's smart. I won't disable comments for precisely that reason, which is it turns it into a fucking thing. Like, how dare you do this to your platform? I don't owe you any commentary. (laughs) Anything. You don't have to be here. I don't have to pay attention to you. It's their, like, 
uh, why would you turn comments off? And then they just immediately prove exactly why you turned the comments off. Yeah, I mean, generally, like I will only do it so that I can actually use Instagram. So I rarely disable comments, but I'll do it when it gets to the point where I have strangers arguing with each other about shit I don't care about. And because of the way the notifications work. Oh, it's the worst. They're out of context too. So I'm just seeing at this person, I don't know, verbal abuse and I'm like, you've just ruined my notification feed because I can't mute anything. So I will turn comments off when it's like, I just want to not have to deal with this garbage on this app. But I do think the archive on archive strategy is what I'm going to use more often because it's like, yeah, it's a way I get to post something that I still want to have in this timeline because I, I sort of use Instagram like a journal in a way yeah. where it's like, this is a thing I did on this day. I do not care what you think about it. <laughs> I don't care that you see it. Yeah. Don't give a fuck. I just want it to be there. <laughs> Feel good about it. Yeah, there are like 12 people I care about seeing this and whose opinions I would actually care to hear on this. But like making things online, you don't really get the luxury of like that context. And instead it's just sort of like, blah, do whatever you want, I guess. I have no control over this. This is just a nightmare from which I cannot awake. And if yeah. you do anything about it, it's censorship. <laughs> it's true. If you don't let me be an asshole to you, uh, censorship. <laughs> I'm being censored. What my freedom of speech? Yeah, First Amendment, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is a good time to move on to some segments. Leighton, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it would be great if we moved into some segments. Okay, great. So our first segment, this is the pop culture recommendation segment. It's called What's Poppin'? And here's the theme song. What's poppin'? I'm devastated that I'm not hearing anything. You didn't hear that? There isn't one. Is that the joke? I'm really upset. Okay. There actually is normally a bit where I don't play anything. This time I legitimately played it. Nothing. Wow. You're making that up. You're fucking making that up. I'm not making it up. I clicked the button and it played. I don't think it did. I think you're lying. Wait, do you still have access to the soundboard? Like, try to hit us with a yeah, baby. I heard it. I put it on the soundboard. I will screenshot on the soundboard right now. I'm re I'm not fucking with you. Hit some other buttons. I unintentionally did the bit. No, look, it's right. Hold on. Because normally Brian builds this up like... No, look, it's right here. This is the best theme song you've ever heard in your life. I really want to know what you think about this theme song and that he doesn't play anything and it never goes well. Mm. And I get mad performatively <laughs> for comedy purposes. Alana, I don't have your number, but I'm texting it to you right now, Leighton. You can see it on the soundboard. You have to admit it would be impossible for me to add it this quickly. Impossible. It's right there. <laughs> Since it didn't play, I'm going to put my headphones on the mic and you can hear it playing. Watch. Nope. Oh, yes. What's poppin'? See? <laughs> Fucking see? That's what I heard. All right. All right. Okay? I believe you. What I'm going to do is, when this episode comes out, I'm going to crank the gain on my portion of the audio when I did it the first time in the hopes that we can see it. Yeah. There it is. Too pixelated. I can't see shit. Yeah. You're super pixelated. <laughs> it's impossible to see it. <laughs> This should be the preview for uh, whenever Jarek posts the social thing. I think it's very ominous. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if I just shot myself in the foot or outsmarted myself. You played yourself. And it could be either one. Okay, you know what? I'll do mine first. A couple of weeks ago on the show, I recommended a form of logic puzzle called TAPA. T-A-P-A? T-A-P-A. It's a kind of fill-in squares type of logic puzzle. And I'm going to recommend another kind of logic puzzle right now, which I've been really into. It's not Sudoku? It is not Sudoku, but it sort of looks like that. So the kind of puzzle I'm obsessed with this week is called a star battle. And what it is, it's very similar to Sudoku, where you have a grid 
And there are some regions, they're not just like three by three squares, they're just like kind of weird looking regions. And you have to place stars in the grid, which is usually like a whatever, eight by eight, 10 by 10, such that there's one star in each row, one star in each column, one star in each region, and no two stars can be adjacent to each other. Okay. This is like Sudoku, but cute. It's like Sudoku, but cute. It also, you can put more stars. You can have two stars in each region, column, row, etc. And like all these things, you can scale it up to absolutely ridiculous proportions where it's like a 30 by 30 grid and there's 20 stars. You know, you can really get masochistic with it. Hmm. It looks cool. Topple looks cool too. It's great. The way I've been playing it is if you Google Star Battle Online or Star Battle Puzzle Online, I think it's Puzzle Club. I'm pretty sure they're just algorithmically generated. Uh, tons of these, and you can just do them on your phone, you can do them on a browser. It's very fun, and it's the kind of thing where when I was first doing them, the methodology didn't click. You know, you, you go smaller and smaller and try easier and easier ones until you get it and then scale back up. It's the kind of thing where you learn tricks, and then you're like, oh, right, I can do that whole mm. thing. Yeah, it's really fun. It does look good, and I mean, I found it really easily. It's just there's literally a website that's puzzle-dod-battle.com. Yes, that's the one that I've been using. Mm. Have you played The Witness by any chance? You know what? I've started it a couple times and then just haven't been able to devote my full attention to it. It's so good. And I did like the very first thing where you have to get out of that little area. And then I, for whatever reason, moved on to something else. It's basically a whole game of puzzles that don't tell you any rules. You have to figure them out by doing them. That's my favorite thing. I love it. It's wonderful. It's not that long and it does get really hard. It's just the way you described this puzzle was like, oh, it's like The Witness. I've talked about this on the show before. Do you know what the MIT Mystery Hunt is? No. Every January, there's this massive puzzle-solving weekend at MIT. I've been doing it for like, I don't know, since 1999. You play in teams. The goal is to find a coin, that quote-unquote coin, that's somewhere on the MIT campus. And literally, the whole ingenuity is that all the puzzles, you look at them and you're like, what the fuck is this? I have no idea what to do with this. What is it, MIT Puzzle Hunt? MIT Mystery Hunt. If you just Google that, you'll go to an archive. It's been going on since the 80s. Whoa, this is so cool. So I do it with college friends. If you ever want to do it, we have like a team of friends. and I would love to. When it happens next January, I'll let you know. We have this very chill and non-competitive group of people. The deal is if you win it, you run the next year. Huh. And the teams that win it have like 100 and something people on it. And they're like, yeah, we'd never win, right? That's in Massachusetts, right? It is, although this year obviously was remote. Mm. I mean, I'd go there for that. That's awesome. <laughs> Honestly, it is the greatest thing I do all year. It's a reunion with friends. The puzzles are really fun. Some of them are just general knowledge. Some of them you need detailed knowledge bases of a particular thing, sometimes very academic, sometimes very pop culture-y. And more than anything else, it's just sitting in a room with a bunch of fun people, staring at shit, being like, what are we supposed to do with this? Someone has the aha moment, and then you go. Can anyone register? Like anyone can do it? Anyone can do it. You do not need to be an MIT alum or anything like that. It is open to anyone. You have to be on a team, but the team could in principle be one person. Gotcha. And they do encourage like you to do it with MIT students if you can. But I was a postdoc at MIT and that's the only affiliation anyone on our team has ever had. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, now it's a bunch of like, we have people kind of from all over the age spectrum, but more or less it's people my age, mid 40-ish, generally who went to Williams College because- That's how you know each other? That's how we know each other, yeah. What's your team name? It has varied for a while, but then we got sick of thinking of new names, so we've stuck with Occam's Depilatory Gel for the past. <laughs> it's the nerdiest shit I've ever heard. Yeah, well, it's the MIT <laughs> Mystery Hunt. 
<laughs> there was a Mario Kart one? Sort of. The theme is always kind of a MacGuffin where they have a theme, but it's not actually relevant to most of the puzzles you solve. It's just kind of a framing. Gotcha. Zombies versus zombies event? Yeah, they have events where you have to show up for stuff, too. The one they did this year, it was fucking crazy. They invented a full-on, like, virtual version of the MIT campus that you could move an avatar around in and interact with people. And, I mean, just the coding alone on it was like, holy shit, what did you guys do? Wow. And then the puzzle writing on top of it was exceptional. I'm very sold on this. You're a great ambassador. Is this what you're trying to influence me on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next year, I'll send you an invitation for our team. It really is the best, and it's the more the merrier, too. I'd love to. Yeah, I'm down. Let's go. Let's go to Massachusetts, great. Brian. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, it's on. <laughs> I love this. All right. Anyway, star battle. That's what's popping for me. I'm going to go with the Falconeer, which I have spoken about like a couple of times recently. So the Falconeer is a video game. You can get it on Game Pass. So for anyone who has Game Pass, it's free. Uh, which you love to see with a subscription, obviously. And the reason I keep recommending it is because when I first played this game, it was because I was on the jury for the BAFTAs. And it was one of the debut games, meaning that it is a game from a new studio. And when I first started playing it, I was like, there's no way I'm going to like this game. This is like not my kind of thing at all. It's an open world combat game, like a lot of aerial dogfighting, except that you do it from the back of a falcon. Not my kind of thing. And now I can't stop playing it. I'm like going to make sure I get like 1000 game score on it. And I'm like hard into it. Not because I care about the aerial dogfights, which are fun, but because this game has so much lore, like it is still a combat game where like, you know, you're going to just fight other factions largely, but the way that the campaign plays out, I think there are five campaigns and each of them is from a different faction. So you're seeing kind of each side of this land and experience how all the different factions see each other. So you never really have alliance to any of them. You're just seeing all of their different perspectives. And I wouldn't, eh, some of them are kind of more evil than others, but none of them inherently, which is a really interesting approach to storytelling. And again, just this like aerial dogfighting game. It's also really pretty. There's loads of cool stuff to see. Like the map changes every campaign based on something you did in one campaign. So you might drop a bomb and then there's going to be a bomb site even in the next campaign when you're playing from another faction. I just ended up being so into it that I'm just trying to like 100% the game, which, yeah, just like really impressed me is it's well written. I think some of the voice acting is pretty off, but like can kind of be grating at times. Controls are really fun. Like there's a fun level system as well where you like actually get pretty attached to your Falcon, I think. But yeah, it's mostly just like definitely want to recommend it as someone who did not like this type of game, but felt like some of the other parts of it was so good that I was just really, really sold on it. Wow, cool. The game details the first sentence is like very apt. It says generations of poisonous decisions and treason swirl in the deep as factions collide. And I'm like, that's pretty much the whole game. <laughs> that's a good hook. It's really good. I'm super into it. That sounds cool. Yeah. Have you ever read H for Hawk by Helen McDonald? I have not. I cannot recommend this book highly enough. It, it is just tangentially related. So this woman gets really into training a goshawk, which is apparently the most annoying type of bird to train as a falconer. Hmm. And it's basically her way of coping with her father's death. It's kind of a nonfiction memoir sort of thing. Oh, it's a memoir. No way. Huh. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful book about grief and loss and a complete asshole of a bird that <laughs> tries to undermine <laughs> this woman's attempt to train it at every possible turn. It's pretty great. Oh, interesting. She bought the bird, a northern ghost hawk, to try to help her through the grieving process. Yeah. Wow, that sounds awesome. It's notorious for being this very challenging bird. And so it's, this is like her mission is to like 
do this thing. Yeah. Wow. Man, and even normal birds are assholes. Like, this has got to be next level. She got an extra asshole of a bird. Northern goshawk. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't want to make this about my thing. The falconeer is really what. <laughs> no, I don't. It's not like I think yeah. you wrote H for Hawk. If it was your yeah. book, I'd be like, all right, Brian. <laughs> you just shouted out someone else. I think you're okay. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say about the falconeer either. Just thought it was a really cool thing. Again, debut studio. So it's the first game that the studio made. It's published by Wired Productions. The developer is Thomas Sola. I think it might have been either one person or a really small team too. Thomas Sola. Let me, let me confirm that before. It's all I can see. I can't see anyone else listed here, but I wouldn't be surprised if like someone else worked on some other capacity of the game. But yeah, super neat. Free on Game Pass. Check it out. Cool. Layton, what do you got? What's popping for me is a Reddit post on a sub <laughs> that I really enjoy called r slash hobby drama. And to be clear, Ooh. the caveat here is I hate internet drama, which is why this <laughs> sub is great. Because it's about extremely specific, like, niche hobbies and the sort of, like, crazy drama that goes on within them. And there's so many, like, incredible write-ups on this subreddit that are, like, so well-researched. It is a perfect, like, if you want a subreddit that you want to get into an hours-long whole reading stuff on, like, that's the one. But this one post in particular is posted by user SplurgyA four days ago called, (laughs) it has the bracket, to specify the hobby so it's video game creatures or how the U.S. Navy genetically engineered an animal to only feel pain. Oh, my God. And it's about the 1996 point-and-click game Creatures. Are either of you familiar with that? I've heard of it, but I've not played it. I am not. You raise creatures, and they're called Norns, and they're really fucked up looking at creatures. Wait, N-O-R-N? Norn? N-O-R-N. Yeah, yeah. But it's not, like, meant to be AI, but they're all set up where they have, like, genomes and biochemical systems and all that stuff. So you can get very, like, in the weeds on, like, the way that the creatures are breeding and all this stuff. But this write-up is incredible because it's about how people responded to it and how some people turned the whole deal into, like, I'm going to torture these creatures and make them specifically fucked up and then make it so people can download this fucked up Norn and they're not going to know that it's going to infect all the other ones in their game, essentially. Damn. Excellent write-up. Highly recommend. Also, just like watching videos of that game, really, really interesting. Yeah, I just found it. A lot of words in here. There's a (laughs) subtitle that says Norn Torture. Yeah. An incredible thing about this sub is that people will always link sources, always link like archived web pages. Like a ton of these are from like 2001. Wow. And I love an internet history hole. So this one's great. There's a really great hobby drama post about Bimbo Land, which we'll get into another day. I'm not going to say anything else about it, but if you look up hobby drama Bimbo Land, that's the stuff. There are ones about like, boutique guitar pedals, like anything you could possibly be interested in. There's ones about Lego sets, cool, like sneaker collecting, whatever else you could possibly want. It's like the most low stakes, fun, ridiculous, like what are people mad about kind of thing. So it's great. That's wonderful. Yeah, I'm super into this kind of stuff. Learning about something I know absolutely nothing about from a drama perspective sounds great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It also puts like so much of the stuff that you have to put up with personally online into perspective of just like hearing about other people describe a thing that was a huge deal and being like, I didn't know anything about any of this. That sounds ridiculous. It's true. It doesn't exist outside of me, but actually it does. (laughs) I really love the subreddit that I look at the most 
is are sex workers only. So like only sex workers are allowed to post and other people are just allowed to like observe. It's basically just like people who work in the sex work industry talking about sometimes health stuff, some clients they like, some clients they hate, like all of these experiences, like just very openly in a way that is fascinating because it's something that nobody ever really talks about outside of this one subreddit, or at least that I've ever seen. Yeah. Like there are people who have terrible requests that they'll post screenshots of like being like i'm not gonna pay you the first one should be free like just like ridiculous oh. like stuff like that that's like oh no but some of it's really interesting like people talking about like how they became friends with clients or like someone just wanted to pay them to cuddle after a death like that was one that was like really detailed and really interesting just oh, wow. i feel like you get this insight to humanity that you don't often get from other people. I'm scrolling through this right now and this is awesome. I can't wait to go through this. It's good. I love finding new subreddits that are just like holes. Like Reddit, if you go on the main subs, it's a nightmare. But if you find the ones that are specifically for a thing that you're really into or just something where people are actually putting effort in, it's like amazing. It's good stuff because it's so specific too. And it's like, I don't need to say anything here. I'm cool with it. I'm just going to observe from afar and learn and just hear what you all have to say to each other. They're all really nice to each other too. Yeah. I've been a faithful Reddit lurker for like a decade now. So Mm -hmm. it's a terrible website that I hate, but I'm also obsessed with. (laughs) So let's move on to our final segment, which is called Peaches and Lemons, which is three parts gratitude exercise and one part airing of a petty grievance. So we will each start with one lemon, which is like, a petty, shitty thing that's frustrating. And then we'll do three peaches, which are things that are nice that happen, that we're excited about. It can be big or small, whatever you want. So someone slapped me with a lemon right now. I have one. Okay, please. We have a lovely farm box in our neighborhood that Rachel found recently. Wait, what's a farm box? Oh, it's like a CSA box. So they have, you know, like produce from various semi-local farms that you pick it up once a week. When I've tried them in the past, it's like 95% kale and then one onion. And it's like, okay, great, fine. (laughs) This one, every week it has like these beautiful strawberries. It has a dozen eggs. This week we got a fennel, a bunch of carrots, you know, broccoli. It's so much more diverse than anything else I've had. But occasionally they have add-ons from local things. And Rachel, knowing I love pickles, bought a large quantity of pickles, like spicy pickles, pickled pineapple pickles. And she was so excited. And then we tried them and they were fucking horrible. It was just like inedible. And it was such a bummer. Wait, did you say pickled pineapple? What was bad about them? Yes, which is weird. What's bad about them, and I admit that this is more on me than anything. So I don't want to disparage the pickler. It's more about the pickle I don't like cinnamon and clove and allspice. And these were like, you just open it up and it's redolent of all these flavors that I personally hate. That's a huge bummer. It's a huge bummer. A very minor thing. But now we have a lot of pickles <laughs> in our fridge. What are you going to do with all of them? I don't know what we're going to do. Adora doesn't like them. Nobody likes them. Audrey doesn't like them. Rachel doesn't. Rachel is trying to choke down a bunch of them, but... Like, she doesn't really like them. We might donate them to some neighbors, but yeah, so. It is frustrating because it's like getting a big jar of pickles is such like a fridge space investment. Yeah. I always do that where I'm like, ooh, spicy pickles. And then you get them and it's like, okay, this isn't fucking spicy. Or like, why is this sweet? (laughs) Okay, I hate sweet and vinegar. 
Stop making your pickles with fucking sugar and vinegar. Like, come on. I love vinegar and pickles, but, you know. Tea. I love vinegar in general, not in pickles. This is just my heritage as, you know, growing up in Jewish New Jersey. You don't make pickles with fucking whatever. I could go on about this for a while. Sweet pickles does seem very weird. That seems like a strange choice. As a kid, I loved bread and butter pickles, but now it's like, ugh, ugh. Alana, is gherkin in your vocabulary as an Australian, or is that more of a British thing? Um, no, we, we say gherkin as well. But the eating pickles thing I can't relate to at all in general because that's not a thing people really do in Australia. Really? Like, you'll still get it in your McDonald's. Like, I don't know anyone who's ever, like, bitten into a pickle the entire time I lived in wow. Australia. Never. Shocking. I'm sure it happens and someone will correct me, but I've never seen or heard of people just eating pickles. Yeah. And then I moved here and one time there was this guy at a park playing Pokemon Go who just had a whole pickle in his pocket and just... <laughs> Went for it. Like, okay. Wait, he pulled, hold on. He pulled an unbagged yeah. pickle out of his pocket <laughs> yep. while playing Pokemon Go. Correct. And ate it? Yes. Yes. Living his best life, honestly. That's how you fucking play Pokemon Go. He seemed to be having a good time. Didn't hurt anybody. It was fine, but very confusing for me. Yeah, I just don't really think people just like eat pickles in Australia. Amazing. Honestly, they are amazing baby food for like a mm. baby who's just started eating solid food. We would give Audrey a pickle and my sister's daughter did this too. And they just gnaw on it for like an hour. They're just. It's a lot of flavor. It's salty. It's a lot of flavor. It's cold at first. They kind of gum it down. Oh, it's so refreshing if it's like summer. Oh. I'm also a weirdo and I'll, I'll just sip the pickle brine. If I get sure. especially good pickles, I'll just put it in a little whiskey glass. Audrey loves pickles. The more pickles she can get, the happier she is. She just chomps down pickles. It's like drinking the ocean, but it doesn't kill you. Yeah. <laughs> just like that. You put that on the label. <laughs> uh, Audrey loves, and I don't know any other kid her age that does this, loves pickled beets. Huh. All she wants are pickled beets. She will just chow down on them. How do you pickle something? What's the process? Generally, you put it in a brine with herbs or whatever for a while, and that's it. How does it not expire? The salt cures it. Interesting. So that's part of it. Interesting. That's why it's also salty. It makes sense. Yes. I'm learning a lot. You know, I feel like I'm ready to become a citizen now. <laughs> this, yes. is, this is going to be on the test. How to pickle. And I'm like, it's, you put it in the brine and this herbs and salt stops it from going off. Thank you. <laughs> it also became like kind of a hipstery thing in the last 10 or 15 years where it was like people were pickling all kinds of bullshit. Well, and also like pickles became a meme thing like mustaches and bacon. Okay, did you guys know Wait, that the bacon thing, like it becoming a thing of like, haha, everything has bacon on it was because there was like a surplus of bacon and they were trying to offload the surplus. No, <laughs> so this was no. just like a manufactured what? thing. That was an intentional marketing thing? Yes, if I recall correctly, I could be making this up, but I feel like I wouldn't make this up because it shook me so hard. Everything is a lie. Yeah. What? Yeah. Had I not known, I would have attributed that to Adventure Time and the Bacon Pancakes song. That's true. I was like, that seems like it could have had enough of a pop culture influence to do that yeah. as a guess. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. That is nuts. Oh my God. Yeah. I'll have to fact check that. I'm sure I'm going to get 20 Fuck. tweets on Friday or next Friday. They're like, oh, my that's incorrect. But that's fine. <laughs> We're actually lighting uh, the bacon factors in <laughs> People just think bacon is really cool. I'm going to Google bacon surplus. Bacon surplus ad campaign is an autocomplete result. Wow. Oh, my God. It's a Deadspin article that says you like bacon because they told you to. That's 
insane. Leighton, you're on to something. How bacon took the food industry by storm. Bacon mania? There's a Wikipedia page for bacon mania. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Also read about the cheese surplus, the government cheese surplus, if you don't already know about that. I'm into that. We talked about the great Bucatini shortage of 2020. Yes, we did. For a while, I forget when exactly this happened, the U.S. government had cheese that it was storing in a cave somewhere. I can't remember why this happened. <laughs> Gotta get that cave cheese. <laughs> you could get government cheese. It was a thing, getting government cheese. I bet if you Google government cheese, the U.S. cheese surplus will come up. Government cheese caves? What the fuck? Why does the federal government have 1.4 billion pounds of cheese? <laughs> what? Yaha. Uh-huh. It's just stored in a fucking cave somewhere. I think it's like Wyoming or something. Show me the forbidden cheese cave. (laughs) I'm so stressed about all of this. The USA is hoarding cheese. There are four pounds of cheese in storage for every American. Yeah, I'm remembering this now. It was something like, maybe there was a milk surplus and they were like, what do we do with this milk? Or how do we support dairy farmers or something like this? It was Reagan. It was Reagan, okay. Oh, he's fucking Reagan. (laughs) Maybe they were giving subsidies to, I'm making shit up, so I don't really remember, but they had like a milk thing. They were like, how do we store all this milk? And they're like, well, let's fucking cheese it. (laughs) It was a government cheese program. (laughs) The cheese was kept deep inside of Missouri caves. This is the socialized healthcare we really need, government cheese. (laughs) Well, it's sort of actually is because it was for welfare beneficiaries, from what I can tell. It was like cheese food stamps. Amazing. Is what it sounds like. The related Wikipedia pages are Butter Mountain and Wine Lake. Wow. What the fuck? Butter Mountain's Cheese Caves. That's the new Mountain Goats album. I would like to go there. I don't know where that is. (laughs) But as a white girl, I am here for it. (laughs) Leighton, can I tell you the craziest thing? Did you say the Mountain Goats right now? Yeah. The thing I'm looking up was a post by the drummer from the Mountain Goats, John Worcester. Oh. Yes. Oh, did you see that John Darnielle is putting out a new novel? Oh, that's so great. I love him. I'm so excited. He's the best. Yes. So he posted about a lake in South Carolina called Alcohol and Drug Abuse Lake. Yes, I saw that tweet. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do I need to Google this as well? Alcohol and Drug Abuse Lake. That's the name of it. Bitches be like, I know a place. You're right, it is. Alcohol and Drug Abuse Lake. It's in South Carolina? Yeah. That probably would have made my top five states that I would have guessed it would be in. (laughs) Damn, it looks like a pretty chill lake, if I'm being honest. It looks like a great place to abuse drugs and alcohol. Who wants to go with another lemon here? Okay, my lemon is going to be some neighbor. I don't know how this has happened and how it's not been addressed. The fire alarm beeps once a minute, but like just occasionally. So like it'll go for two days and then not for a day, and then again for three days, and then maybe there's a few days off. And this has been happening for at least six months. So I have trouble sleeping Uh. if it's beeping and I have to like play something else because something about like the repetitive beep every minute, it just knowing it's coming is what keeps me awake. I'm like, it should be beeping and oh, there it is. Again, the beep. The thing that gets me about it is like, if this were happening for a day, I'd be like, that's annoying, but whatever, it's fine. You know, maybe they're not home. How? Have the people in the apartment not addressed this? Yes. <laughs> Completely lost their minds. Like, I feel like from where it is, I would say like probably at least six other apartments can hear it. Oh my God. It's definitely not just me. It's got to be like a solid like bubble around them of people who can hear it. But if I were to like call the front office of that building, which I do not live in, and be like, hey, 
one of these apartments is beeping. What are they going to do? Like, I wouldn't know which number it is. Like, I have no way yeah. of telling them what it would be. But I'd be like, this person, something's wrong with their fire alarm. Beeps every minute, occasionally, seemingly at random, and then doesn't. So what if they went up on a day where it wasn't as well? And they're like, just trying to find the source of the beep and they can't. The phantom beeping. That's when you just go in and you're like, I have a whole pack of double A's, please, for the love of God. It's terrible. That's legitimately awful. So like my smoke detector does a similar thing. And now that you're saying this, I feel guilty and I should fix this. How doesn't it drive you insane? Well, the thing is, is that it's extremely sensitive to heat and my kitchen gets really, really hot. Like I was cooking pancetta earlier and it was just like excruciating. And if it gets hot, not even if there is smoke, the fire alarm will start going off. But I have a closet in the hallway connecting this area in my kitchen. And that's where the smoke detector is. But if I turn on the light in my closet, it'll beep. What the fuck? Because for some reason, it detects that as like, that's a thing. A spark of some kind. I feel like you should get that checked out. I feel like that is not a safe fire alarm. Oh, it certainly isn't. Yeah, there's something going on with your wiring. Might have something to do with me ripping it out of the ceiling in a rage. Could be related. You might be onto something there. I have a friend who refers to his smoke detector as the cooking alarm because of its sensitivity to heat. Yeah, I mean, mine at my apartment will go off pretty much any time I cook something that I'm intentionally sort of burning. Yeah. But like, I get why that happens. And like, I know it's going to happen and I understand why it does. Or like any meat, you know? Yes. When we moved into our house, we didn't know why the smoke detector was really sensitive when we were cooking. We'd like turn on the vent and it like nothing would change. And then we realized that the guy we bought the house from, who was a flipper, had set up the vent so that it vented the smoke back into the house. <laughs> so it literally just took the smoke, whisked it away from the top of the stove. Great. Raised it about a foot. Excellent. And then ejected it back into the body of that. It was so stupid. Now I'm so curious if that's what mine does. I'm learning so much right now. We got some work done on the house and we were like, please just drill a fucking hole in the wall. Can you just <laughs> get, point the vent outside? That's so ridiculous. It's so stupid. Like, oh why would you God. do that? How did that even pass, like, safety tests? Right? I yeah. have no idea. Theirs does not seem to be related to cooking. No. Do you know them at all? No. Like, I don't know what the action is for me to take to prevent it, really. But I also don't know how it's not driving everyone insane. Like, I can tolerate a lot of noises. Like, people will often get annoyed by things, and I'll be like, no, oh, I didn't even notice. But if it's any kind of repetitive sound, then I will notice it. Well, it's a thing that's designed to be heard and to alarm you. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's very validating. I appreciate that. I am supposed to be hearing it. <laughs> that sounds like a nightmare to me, like an actual night. I think I would never sleep. Oh. <sighs> well, I find the thing that helps the most is if I play rain sounds. Like I like sleeping in rain sounds anyway, but sometimes you'll hear birds because it's like rainforest. Mm -hmm. So the chirping of that helps my brain just make the two of them part of the same track. It's basically the same. Yeah. We should get rid of all fire alarms and just put birds. That's like the crossings in Japan. They sound like birds chirping. Yes, they do. Layton, do you have a lemon? My very fast lemon is that my psychiatrist is always late refilling my medications, which is why I need to get a new psychiatrist. That's not the lemon. I was going to say, that doesn't seem like a lemon. That seems actually quite bad. That seems like a medical emergency. Actual problem. Yeah. Very not great, but I needed to get it refilled because I ran out and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the grocery store that's next to the pharmacy and I put the thing in and hopefully they'll send it and it'll refill. And by the time I'm done shopping, I can go pick up my medication. I go to groceries. I'm like, okay, I'm not, I've got nothing. I'm going to get a coffee and I'm going to sit outside and see if it does it. I do that for a while. 
Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, fine, fuck it. I'll get the thing and I'll go get it later today. Drive home. The moment I get home, sit down on my couch after getting inside, I get the like, oh, your shit was filled. Oh, man. (laughs) Come on. So that's my brief lemon. Just one of those moments. What did you do? Did you sit for a bit or did you immediately go back? I sat for a bit and then I went back and I had also forgotten to buy garlic when I was at the store, which was a horrible error. So I also rectified that and went and only bought garlic and a lemon. So that's my lemon. That works out. It wasn't totally wasted, but yes, also absolutely infuriating. You hate to see it. It's true. Yeah. I have my no more dumb bitch pills, as I like to call them. (laughs) (laughs) Your psychiatrist sucks though, so... You know, there's that. Yes, this is true. Well, especially if your psychiatrist is calling them that, too. That's probably a warning sign. <laughs> yeah, that's where she got the name from. She wrote that on your prescription? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> it works. They just give you the pill. It's the forbidden <laughs> forbidden anti-anxiety medication. But I'm a dumb bitch. Help. <laughs> Peaches. Okay. Layton, do you want to just roll right into yours? Sure, yeah. I have brief ones. My first peach is that I made pizza tonight. I made a goat cheese, pancetta, prosciutto, pear, roasted garlic, honey Mm. pizza. And it was bomb as hell. And now my apartment smells like roasted garlic forever now, which great. Always a good thing. Did you eat all of it or do you have leftover pizza? It ended up being like two pizzas and I ate maybe like two slices out of one. So I'm eating good for the next few days. Hell yeah. And it's very rich. I need to do like a balsamic reduction or something to like cut the richness and fattiness of everything, whatever. My second peach is that not only will we soon be able to record in person again due to vaccination, et cetera, we also have like a lot of really, really Mm. cool guests lined up that I'm very excited about. God, this was one of my peaches. This was (laughs) one of mine. We can share a peach. (laughs) Yes, we can. We're both excited about it. It's great. By the way, and Alana, we're including you in that lineup. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So sure. Just, just, you, yeah. just to make sure. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. It's not like, and it starts next week. Can I add a new lemon? It's coming yeah. onto this podcast and being disrespected, <laughs> snubbed. <laughs> and then my last peach is that I have been in like weirdly good spirits this past week. Like I'm a usually pretty melancholy person, but I've had like more energy and I've been feeling a bit more like functional and mentally healthy because the therapy is working. So, right. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. I hope it sticks around, but who knows? Nothing in nature blooms all year. That's my hot mental health tip. I don't know, dude. You got at least three days of fresh pizza, so I think you're going to be fine. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. You're completely right. All is well. All right, somebody else peaches. (laughs) Okay. I kind of already mentioned my first one, but I'm about to be an aunt. I'm very excited about that. I'm going home and yeah, I have to quarantine in a hotel for two weeks. And then my sister is due like five days later. So I keep telling her she has to wait because I would like to see her pregnant. (laughs) And then you get to see a sweet little baby. It's true. But first I want to see her pregnant. And I would just like to have one photo with my sister where she's pregnant, you know, because I've missed that being overseas for that period of time. And that will also be the most pregnant. That'll be like I'll I'll be calling her tons of names. I'll be making fun of her. It's going to be excellent. I can't wait. Yeah, she'll be super uncomfortable and it'll be hilarious. It's going to be excellent. I'm going to like make fun of her for how often she needs to pee. Like I need to get all of that experience done in a five-day span and she has to wait (laughs) to give birth so that I can get it all out of my system. For some reason, my mom's convinced that she's going to be late. Mom's like, it's going to take like two weeks. And I'm like, I don't know why you're saying this. Like you're some kind of baby expert because you've had two of them. (laughs) What do you know? (laughs) But I'm super excited. Um, I don't know what to buy yet. I'm still trying to figure that out. Like, I feel like I should take something home, like some kind of little socks or something. I have the perfect thing. It's like a baby 
hypnosis thing. Every baby loves this. It's called a noggin stick. It's a little like light up thing. When we were living in England where we had Audrey, we got this thing and all the moms that we were friends with over there were like, what is this magic device? We cannot purchase it here. It like doesn't exist in England. Maybe it ex- exists in Australia. I don't know. But it was hard to find, at least in one country outside of the U.S. And this thing was like baby magic. Wow. Every baby that sees this thing falls in love with it. It's got a mirror. It's got a weird face. It's got like bumps on it. It lights up. It is a full baby sensory party. And it's a great gift. It calls itself an educational tool. It says, it's not just a cute toy. It is not educational in any sense. (laughs) That's a complete lie. But it's a great baby gift. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm excited to get my noggin stick. The other thing that's our go-to baby gift is the nose Frida, which is the thing that sucks snot out of a baby's nose when they have a cold because they can't blow their nose and there's nothing else you can do. So it's a little tube that you stick up their nose. Never occurred to me that babies can't blow their noses. They can't blow their nose. Oh, useless. Don't even pay taxes, you know? Like yeah, I know, it's the worst. <laughs> contribute. The ultimate socialist Ugh. babies. No, they're libertarians. <laughs> the box art for the nose, Frida, is awful. Everything about it is awful. Because it's like a mom with a little straw going into the baby's nose. And it looks like it's like, oh, I'm drinking my baby's snot. No, no it's just like, <laughs> this is my snot Capri Sun. Can I tell you the best part about the nose, Frida, is that as far as I can tell, it completely doesn't work and just upsets the baby. <laughs> we tried this on Audrey multiple times when she had a cold. When she was like real little. I mean, this is like less than a year old. And I don't know that it actually made a difference, except it did make her cry like, crazy. Okay. I'm buying the snoggin stick. And my problem with it is that now I think all of my ads are going to think I'm pregnant (laughs) across all apps. Yes, of course they will. Yeah. (laughs) I've done it. Cool. Otherwise, I'm just going to buy like some socks, I think. Baby socks are cute. Appreciate that. Thank you. Yes, of course. I guess my second one is that the 1st of May, it's technically the 3rd of May, will be 10 years that I've been working in the games industry. Wow. A whole decade. Congratulations. Amazing. We made it. So it took a long time, you know, took roughly 10 years to make it a decade through. No, it's been wild. I've had a wonderful career that I'm very proud of. Got to do a lot of cool stuff and meet a lot of cool people. And I've had a wonderful time. I mean, there's parts of it that are like obviously very hard because the games industry is very hard, mm-hmm. but making it 10 years, I'm really proud. And I think little Alana, you know, playing Legend of Zelda would be ecstatic that I get to do what I do today. It'll also be my six months of working in AAA game development because I work for Sony Santa Monica Studio. So that times out too. So we will be doing that for six months, which is also awesome. I don't have any plans for any of this. No. <laughs> Just excited about it. Just a nice milestone, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Other than that, my last one is that today I booked my first haircut ah. of a year and a half. Great. I'm pretty stoked about that too. I've done my own hair this whole time, including the dye, which means I'm pretty sure I've killed it a little bit. But I've also tried to do my own layers a bunch and like, it's probably not good. I feel like I'm going to need to go to the hairdresser and be like, listen, I'm really sorry about everything that I did here. <laughs> you understand. Surely you understand. <laughs> you, you know what we've been through. I'm sure that's how every single person who they see every day is like, I'm so sorry. That's true. Yes. Like, especially right now, I'm going to be like, I'm so stoked about this. You know, I just want a haircut. I just please even out these terrible layers. I somehow thought that I could give myself. It's like really short. Back here, there's just little bits. Like, that. why is that that long? Why is this this short? <laughs> like, what have I done? 
<laughs> it looks really cute though. Thank you. I love the little layer up here. I'm okay with this bit. This is the part we're okay with. Everything else, a disaster, but nobody's been able to see it because they've not been outside. At least when you're on a camera, all that matters is the front, the complete back of my head. Like the dye job is a nightmare. It's fine. Awful. Also, speaking of AAA, I wrote down the one thing I wanted to bring up with Cyberpunk because I was like, <laughs> why do I recognize this character? That's me. And I was like, oh, it's Alana. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Thank you. Yes, that is my last one in any case was Haircut. Very excited about it. I think I might also go and do a bunch of like just girl stuff that I generally don't really do a lot of, like get my nails done. Because, you know, I've spent the whole of the last year in sweatpants. I'm like, what if I just, maybe I'll get a massage, you know? Another person touches you. I feel like that's the dividing line is the massage. When I get my first massage, it's not going to be super soon, but at least it's on the horizon. I think I'll do the massage in Australia because it's safe there. Yeah. But I can do the rest of it here, I think, safely. I could just also wait until I get home to do all of it. But in any case, just excited to be outdoors a little more. Yes. <laughs> it's great. So nice. Yeah. <laughs> Those are my three. Things are feeling um, pretty good right now, all things considered. You know, the last year was tough for a lot of people, and I feel like I had it comparatively super, super easy, but it was still a, a six-month period where I was completely alone in a studio apartment with no balcony and one window that doesn't get any direct <laughs> sunlight. And it wasn't yeah. ideal. <laughs> like, it was, yes. it was a bit tough. <laughs> but I still feel like I had it, you know, better than so many other people, and I'm tremendously privileged and lucky to have had that experience and still just, you know, excited to, even as someone who is extremely introverted, just be outside and maybe even make eye contact with a human. Sounds cool. Anything is possible. But we don't go beyond that. <laughs> and then we'll go our separate ways and I'll be like, I saw someone today. <laughs> maybe they'll have dogs that I could get to pet. Okay, in the new world, please let me buy you a coffee and you can play with my cute dog. I would love that. Thank you. See, look at us go. I'll have fresh hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brian. So Audrey had off for, from school today because it was like, the parent-teacher conferences, and I was like, you know what? I said this to her last night. I was like, it's going to be a Dad Audrey day. So I took her to Malibu, to a little park there. It's like a 40-minute drive from where we live, so it's not close, but not crazy. And there was this amazing park right overlooking the water. We haven't done playgrounds for obvious reasons, and there was like no one there. She just went absolutely apeshit on this playground. We had lunch at Neptune's Net, which is like a fish restaurant overlooking the ocean. They have like, you get a little thing and sit out on the patio. So it's kind of distance from people and everything. It was the best. And then we stopped for ice cream on the way home. That's a good dad daughter day. That is very good. Yeah. It's the best. She got home and she was dirty and sweaty and exhausted and covered in chocolate. So you know it was successful. Yep. It was a great kid day. <laughs> My second peach was what Layden said. We've had great guests throughout but I feel like this next run of guests, which we're squarely in the middle of right now, is really, really awesome. We've had some incredible people, and I'm including you, Alana, in this. A bunch of people agreed to be on the show for whatever fucking reason <laughs> that I was all like very, very excited about. I think there's also the benefit of for a lot of this year, it's been like over the weekend, like, uh, who the fuck do we get to come on the podcast this week? And we actually plan shit. Yes. <laughs> this might be the first time that we actually have like more than two weeks in a row planned. So I think there's some additional excitement slash security and like, okay, thank God. With super awesome people too. So yes, that was one of my peaches. And the final one, I mentioned that it was parent-teacher conference today. So we had our conference with Audrey's teachers 
And they said something which was, it's like literally the best thing I could have heard from a teacher during a conference. You know, they talked about some of the academic stuff too, but they said, you know, what impresses us about Audrey is that she is relentlessly kind and she's an advocate for all of the kids. Mm. And she stands up for kids that she feels are being mistreated and she's fighting for everybody's like dignity and, you know, right to be themselves basically. And I was like, I know my daughter's brilliant. I already knew that. Like, I think she's great, but it's harder to see how they are with other kids, right? Because you're not there. And to hear that we're raising this little, like, you know, crusader for kindness was just incredible. It was something I didn't quite expect to hear. I know she's very empathetic. I didn't know that it was happening to quite that extent. So we told her, we were like, Honey, look, your teacher said this amazing thing, which makes us really, really happy to hear that you're just being so nice to everybody. (laughs) And first graders can be pretty cruel because they're little kids. How do you think you imparted that on her? Like, what do you think it is? Like, you know, for anyone listening who's trying to raise a kid, like, is there anything you think that you did that made her like that? Or or do you think she's just that person? Yeah, I think she does the opposite of whatever I do. (laughs) Because you're a known bigot. (laughs) Yes, yeah. I was just going to butt in and say that you and Rachel are two of the nicest people I've ever met, so it's like the scans. Well, thank you. (laughs) I will say, one thing I try to do when I talk to her about her day is I'll ask her about the academic stuff, you know, what she learned. But I will also emphasize, I will say, were you nice to people today? Were people nice to you today? Like, that's the stuff I really want to know about the social dynamics. I want to know how she is being treated and how she is treating others. So, you know, you can do a lot of stuff for kids and who knows what makes a difference and what doesn't. So is there a causal effect? I don't fucking know. But I do try to ask her about what her treatment is of others. You know, she talks about kids being bullied or, you know, just like in a first grade way, like kids not being nice to their kids. Sure. And we'll always ask her, like, well, were you a part of that? What did you do? You know, that sort of stuff. So I think we make it a part of the conversation and she knows that kindness is rewarded. And in fact, what we've told her and what Rachel and I were talking about is like, more important to me than being good at, I don't know, math or whatever, is that she is a kind person and treats other people with dignity. Yeah. I'm sure asking those questions would at least make sure that she thinks that it's important. It's something she thinks about. Yeah. Yeah. Like setting the priority. Yeah. And I think she's also very lucky to have a great school environment. And she has great friends too, like friends of mine and Rachel's, Leighton, Meowch from Twerp, you know, Brent, JP, all these people in our lives who are very kind, good people who are present in her life as well. So I think that helps a lot. And who just loved that kid so much. Yeah, well, she's the best. Amazing kid. I mean, just so fucking funny. Oh my God. <laughs> like everything she says is just cracks me up. Some of it's intentional, some of it's not. We, we were driving today through Malibu. And I'll also ask her to read science because she's in that phase where she just wants to read everything. And I was like, honey, what does that sign say? And it was a sign that said, it was like some restaurant said, serving breakfast, lunch, dinner, cocktails. And she goes, oh, that's a restaurant and it's serving breakfast, lunch, dinner, and cookies. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah, sign me up. Yep, in in her little six-year-old brain, that's the progression, right? Breakfast, (laughs) lunch, dinner. Cookies. (laughs) Amazing. Well, that feels like an excellent button to wrap up on. This whole episode has been breakfast, lunch, and cookies. Mm -hmm. 
Alana, it is such a pleasure to have you here and see you. This has been like such a delightful way to spend a whatever day of the week it is evening (laughs) (laughs) with both of you. This has been great. And thank you so much for your time. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Where can people find you online? And is there anything in particular that you want to plug for people to check out? I am at Charalanazad on everything, which nobody knows how to spell. It's fine. You'll never find me. It's my name in the middle of Charizard. We'll put it in the description. (laughs) Thank you. Anything I want to plug right now? I mean, I've been working on basically making like a mini documentary series about a bunch of my friends who are disabled gamers and the ways that they play video games. Um, So I plan to make like a number of them, um, exploring just like the different accessibility options for video games. And the first one is about my friend Steve Spawn. The unfortunate part is that I don't know when it's going to publish because I'm actually waiting for Steve to send me like, I was like, do you have any videos of you as a kid? Because we talk about this. So I'm waiting on a lot of footage. So I'm not exactly sure when it'll go up. But that is something I'm actively working on that I'll be putting up on my YouTube channel that I'm very excited about. And is part of my campaign that I'm running right now to try to raise $50,000 for Able Gamers by Steve's birthday, which is September 15th. He's way older than every doctor ever told him that he should be Hmm. for the condition that he has. What's his condition? He has SMA. It's muscular atrophy. He says, like, to quote him would be, I was born profoundly disabled and just became more disabled. So he effectively just can't move very well and is in a tremendous amount of pain. It's the very short way of describing it. But yeah, he plays video games with a hat on his head and he can only move like tiny little bits, but he assigns buttons to which movement he's putting on the the hat and can play with a mouse as long as it is like extremely high sensitivity, but generally can't use a keyboard or a controller or anything like that. So I tried the hat and it was really fun and really hard, but you know, he's, he beats my ass. Like he's so good (laughs) at so many games in ways that I'm not to. Um, But that's the first one is about Steve, who uh, is also a part of Able Gamers which for anyone who doesn't know is an organization that basically makes it so people with different disabilities can play video games. And it's not like a one-stop shop where they just kind of email and you're like, hey, I'm disabled, send me things. They actually like sit down with you for hours and assess what you want, what you need, what your limitations are, like what your strengths are, and then kind of figure out a plan to make it so that people with all breadth of disabilities can play video games. And I think it's something very cool. It's a great organization. And we'll drop a link. Oh, thank you. Yeah, all of my Twitch streams right now are trying to raise money for able gamers so i've been doing like a bunch of code giveaways and all that stuff to try to get people to donate so that's my one personal project that i'm very enthusiastic about right now that's a longer plug than i should have given i apologize (laughs) no that's an incredible plug though all right folks thank you for joining us here tonight on this episode of late night that was actually recorded recorded on a late night actually you know what we should do here real quick is introduce ourselves (laughs) yeah that's a good idea because we never did it two hours in all right hey everybody you just listened to late night with brian wecht that one's brian wecht uh hi that's layden yeah mystery guest (laughs) would you care to introduce yourself hi i'm alana thanks for watching (laughs) great all right everybody take care and as always uh stay safe come hard that's the end of the episode goodbye (laughs) bye bye Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>